Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. It's the beginning of the end. Da, da, da. Final season begins. That angers me that he can't fold that pizza. I had the same note. Wait, do you but, not like that part of the movie? Because that's, no, that's no, no, the no. movie. No. I thank God every day I know the lyrics to enter the same man. After brutal dumping. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> after, <laughs> after I took a brutal dump. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us! Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 200 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's up? Nothing much. Uh, I just uh, listened to some pitches. Uh, from some screenwriters, but I'm ignoring one guy, but he's sending me some threatening letters. Interesting. That sounds like you're a player. Oh, yeah. I've been saying player. I've been saying player like player for the last 10 minutes. So I figured <laughs> I'd, I'd put it on the cast as well. Yes. Nice. Welcome back to another edition of Forgotten Cinema. We are doing today the movie The Player. If you have not heard of it, here's a synopsis and we'll get into it. And, you know, all that fun stuff. All the stuff we usually do in every episode. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Certain. That the anonymous threats he's been receiving are the work of David Kahane. Producer Griffin Mill tries to fix things over cocktails. Instead, Griffin ends up murdering the screenwriter and courting the dead man's girlfriend. As police investigate, Griffin concentrates on a prestigious film that might reinvigorate his career. But he soon learns that David's demise hasn't been forgotten by everyone in Hollywood. Eh, it's okay. They really put an emphasis on that uh, script he works on. To get to Larry, or well, it's but the, the script he's talking, the, the script he's working on is to sabotage Larry. The, the camera uh, habeas it, corpus, yeah, habeas corpus. That's that's to kind of sabotage him, and then it's obviously it is because coming true Hollywood, yeah, in true Hollywood fashion, it's a turnaround. But anyways, the player has a runtime of one hundred and twenty-four minutes. It's rated R, production budget of eight million dollars. It came out on a limited release date on April tenth, nineteen ninety-two. I don't believe it, it. It never really had a huge wide release. Maybe got to about 400 or 500 theaters, I believe. So that's why you're going to get the limited release date here of April 10th. Opening weekend, I did $302,000. Domestic, 21.7. International, 7.1. To give you a worldwide total of $28.8 million. Uh, production company was Avenue Pictures, Spelling Entertainment, David Brown Productions, and Addis Welsher. May I hope I said that right? Okay. Distributed by Fine Line Features. Came out the 10th of April, went up against in a wide release, Sleepwalkers. And Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, and Newsies. You probably saw Fern Gully. I did see Fern Gully. And Newsies. You probably saw I have Super actually never seen Newsies. Interesting. Did you saw Sleepwalkers? I yeah. mean, not like when it came out, but I yeah. saw it like later on. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I always thought Sleepwalkers was a TV movie. Hmm. But I was wrong. Um, yeah. I can't believe you didn't see Newsies. Interesting. Anyway, so the week after, the 17th of April, you had in a wide release, The Babe, Deep Cover, and City of Joy, and a limited release, Brain Donors. None of those sound familiar to you? None of those sound. I mean, The Babe is, I assume, yes. Babe Ruth? Yeah, John Goodman. Oh, Great. I've seen The Babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, April 3rd, the week before, you had a wide release of Beethoven, Straight Talk, Rock-A-Doodle, Thunderheart, and a limited <laughs> release of Delicatessen. I've seen 
Rock Doodle and Beethoven. Of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is directed by Robert Altman. He has been nominated for two Oscars for Gosford Park, another two for Nashville. He was nominated for the movie Shortcuts, the movie MASH, and of course he did the movie Popeye, which we did a season or two ago. Yes. Written by Michael. What should I say? <laughs> oh boy. Written by Michael Tolkien, who has done the TV show The Offer, uh, the TV show Ray Donovan, and the movie Deep Impact. Cinematographer was Jean Lapine, who's done Ready to Wear, and Bob Roberts, which also stars uh, Tim Robbins, who's in this film, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> Composer was Thomas Newman, who has 15 Oscar nominations. I'm not going to go through them because we've done uh, several Thomas Newman movies, but he has also been Skyfall and 1917, to name a few. Edited by Maisie Hoy and Geraldine Peroni. Uh, Hoy has done The Joy Luck Club what, and What Dreams May Come, and Peroni has done Brokeback Mountain and Michael. Now, it, when you watch the movie, the credit is only for Geraldine Peroni. So I don't know where Maisie Hoy comes in or maybe vice versa. I'm not sure. Oh. But I, one of them has the main credit and the other one pops in. So I'm not really sure what happened there. And I didn't get any of the notes. And yeah, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> produced by David Brown, Michael Tolkien, and Nick Welshler. Brown has done uh, is nominated for four Oscars for movies that he's produced because they all were nominated for Best Feature, Chocolat, A Few Good Men, The Verdict, and Jaws. Tolkien's the same uh, be, uh, as the movies uh, and the TV shows are referenced above the offer and Ray Donovan. Uh, so he's produced much of the stuff he's written. And the Wall Street has done Quills, Fierce People, and Magic Mike. Actually, the Magic Mike series. So the new one coming out too, which is Magic Mike Forever. Magic Mike's Last Dance, I think. Is it Last Dance? Yeah. I thought it's Forever. Okay. I think right. Forever was the last one. Okay. Which I didn't even no, know there was no, the second one. No, no, no. The second one's Magic Mike XXL. Okay. It's pretty I didn't sad. even know there was a second pretty one. Pretty sad that I know that. Tim Robbins is the, is the lead here. He plays Griffin Mill. Won an Oscar for his role in Mystic River. He also was nominated for an Oscar for Dead Man Walking. He's also obviously in Shawshank Redemption. That's probably where a lot of people remember him from. And the Tenacious D movie. And He's the, Tenacious awesome D movie. the Tenacious D movie. He's Tim Robbins, a good actor. Yeah. Greta Sachi is uh, June Goodman. I can't say Goodman's her daughter. There you go. She is in Presumed <laughs> Innocent. She's the mistress in Presumed Innocent. She's also in Emma and the movie Shattered. Fred Ward as Walter Stucco. We obviously lost Fred Ward this year, 2022. So rest in peace, sir. Uh, he's in Tremors, Chain Reaction, Summer Catcher movie we did, Butler. Mm -hmm. and he's also Remo Williams. Whoopi Goldberg as Detective Avery, nominated for an Oscar. I'm um, excuse me, won an Oscar for Ghost, nominated for an Oscar in The Color Purple. She's also in the Sister Act movies. Isn't there a third one coming out? I thought there was. There's talk of the third oh, one. I thought they already. There is a third one. There's a fourth one maybe coming out. Shoot. There is a third. She, I have no I'm idea. I'm pretty that. sure there's a Sister Act. I know there's one and two. Sister Act yeah. one and two. Peter Gallagher as Larry Levy, who's in American Beauty, While You Were Sleeping, and the TV show The O.C. Brian James as Joel Levison. He is uh, in Blade Runner, Striking Distance, and The Fifth Element. Cynthia Stevenson as Bonnie Chereau. She's in Happiness, Jennifer's Body, and Home for the Holidays. You got Vincent D'Onofrio as David Cahane, uh, TV show Daredevil, movie Eyes of Tammy Faye, and he's also in Jurassic World. Dean Stockwell. Oh, Dean Stockwell, rest in peace. Oh. Andy <laughs> Savella. He's uh, nominated for Oscar for Married to the Mob. He's also in Blue Velvet, and obviously a show we always talk about on this, on this podcast, Quantum Leap. Richard E. Grant as Tom Oakley, nominated for an Oscar for Can You Ever Forgive Me? He's also in Hudson Hawk, which is an episode we did our first season. First season, yes. Wow. And Gosford Park. Sidney Pollack as Dick Mellon. He won two Oscars for the movie Out of Africa for director and best picture. He also was nominated for two Oscars for Tootsie for director and best picture. And he was nominated for an Oscar for a movie that we did, Michael Clayton, for best picture. Mm-hmm. Lyle Lovett as Detective DeLongpre, who's in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a TV show, The Bridge. He's also obviously a country singer. Country singer? Folk yes, singer? country singer. Jeremy, it's really more fun. Yeah. Jeremy Piven as Steve Reeves, who's in the TV show, The Entourage, Gross Point Blake, and The Family Man. And finally, Gina Gershon as Whitney Gersh. She's in the movie Bound and Showgirls. 
And there are a ton of other actors and actresses in this film that have oh, cameos. Right. <laughs> and so I didn't reference it because these people are all playing different characters. But um, if you watch this movie, they are all in the background and they're floating around there. Uh, some have lines, some don't, but you obviously some, if you don't blink, if you don't, you don't see them because you have to kind of see them in the so background. Some that they listed in these notes that I'm like, I didn't even, I don't remember even looking at them. Right. I mean, you got Jack Lemon playing the piano at that party. I'm like, that's Jack Lemon. And like, we're not even going anywhere near him. I didn't even notice him yeah. playing the piano. Yeah, I was like, holy crap. So anyways, this film, uh, for the last of the facts, before we get into what we thought about it, and then I have to go back into the facts. Mm -hmm. The last of the facts is this was nominated for three Oscars for film editing, Peroni, like I mentioned before, adapted screenplay, which is Tolkien, and then director, which is Robert Altman. So, but obviously they did not win, but they were nominated. So I have seen this movie a long, long time ago. Uh, this is probably my second time seeing it in full. I may have picked up a few scenes here and there. But um, I don't know. I want to say I watched this in the 90s. I don't know when. I don't know if it was in the th it wasn't in the theater. Probably was at home. Okay. You had never heard of it, right? I had never heard it until recently. I think I said in the last episode, there was like an article that was essentially trying to be forgotten cinema, like a series of articles that never got past the first article. And they listed the player. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, it sounds like a really good movie. I don't know. I've never seen it. Interesting. So first thoughts. It's a really good movie. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, it's maybe a little longer than it needs to be. And there are certain things I'm not a huge fan of, but overall, I think it's a really good movie. It's a really interesting, it's not really a mystery, but it's a really interesting kind of thriller. And the way they play with the entertainment industry is really cool. Yeah, you have two things going here. It's it's the mystery element. Uh, you know, guy gets away with murder and trying to get out of it. But also it's wrapped in this satirical, cynical look at Hollywood and the and the and just the hypocrisy of Hollywood. And and a various like this the producer aspect, which I thought was really interesting. Because mm -hmm. you don't usually get the producer. Usually the producers are to the side. You focus on the screenwriter, directors, or the big out the studio executives. Yep. Studios, producers usually left. Producers out. aren't the main characters, which yeah. you're saying they're more the supporting characters. And they're more and they're crapped on mostly. Mm -hmm. they're, they're made fun of and, and kind of discounted and or wild cards, if you will. My note is that this film and and Name any other film that you that you watch or TV show that talks about Hollywood and living in Hollywood. And it's all cynical and it's all just it just highlights the hypocritical nature of that world. Sure. But yet we're everyone is everyone still is still is, that way. Yeah, right? Exactly. So it's like I don't get this like you don't you're, you're writing stuff and you're commenting on stuff on how much you hate the business. But yet you don't do anything to change it. And I'm curious what you think about that, because at some point it's just like, can we stop just like openly saying like, yes, we're the worst and we're going to continue to be the well, worst. We can't fix it. That was a note that I saw about the movie is when they were praised by Hollywood and they were nominated for something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but Altman had to contact Tim Robbins. Or I guess we were too nice to them. Right. You weren't. Yeah. Because they were all like, oh, we love it. It's like, are, are you kidding me? Yeah. We're talking about how you guys are all douchebags. Exactly. And it's not. You think that it's maybe even better to that point. You think that it, it's obviously satire, but it's so on point. Maybe it's it's like they just don't get it. Like it's just it's it's not as it's that ridiculous. Exactly. That like you think that it's that that stuff doesn't happen, but that stuff happens and more. It's <laughs> oh, I killed a screenwriter as well. That's like I just kept after the movie. I just pictured a screenwriter pitching this to a Tim Robbins type character mm -hmm. and them going, I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Much like he did on the phone to his blackmailer, the player. I like that title. Yeah, like, can you guarantee oh me the ending? Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> even the even the guy was threatening to kill him, and he's and he, like he's you think it's a real threat, right? Even he is just going to sell that out because he knows he's about to make a deal. Yep. 
And it, it, even when they talk about Richard E. Grant's character, because he's the one that pitches the habeas corpus movie and throughout the and entire- has to be the right. right. Oh, so Tom Oakley, that's his character's name, is always like talking about how this has to be the ending. This has to be the ending. And no then, Bruce Willis. Yeah. And then at the end, it's obviously Bruce Willis playing the role and Julia Roberts in the other role. And then Cynthia Stevenson, who plays Bonnie Chirot, turns around. She's like, you could, you totally, you totally sold, sold out. out. Yep. Yeah. And he's talking about how focus features. They don't like it. Yeah. The focus group. The focus group hated it. Yes. So it's just, it's so, I don't, like, I want to praise that. And I do. But then again, I want to be like, but you're not, like, you're not learning anything. And I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, this movie's job isn't to teach. It's to just kind of entertain and entertain in terms of the craziness and madness of that world. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the ending. Because, like I said, I don't think anyone learns anything. But because it's a satire, I'm more okay with it than I would be in any other movie. Well, it doesn't make sense. That, so you have a main character. Not that it doesn't make sense, but you have a main character in Griffin Mill who gets away with murder. And he doesn't learn his lesson. And he you know, becomes a studio chief mm-hmm. at the end. He gets the girl. He, he gets, he's got his family. He's starting. He's completely is what the what he does to Bonnie is completely a slap in the face to her. He's dating Bonnie, for those who don't know. Yep. Tells her that he's just gonna take it easy this weekend. She goes away. She I guess she has no she sends he her, sends on her a, to New York to, to make a deal. Right. To make a deal for a book. And he takes out this other girl and with to an event that has has everyone that he works with there. Yeah. Not only does he take out another girl, the girl who was the girlfriend of girlfriend slash friend of Kah- Kahane. Of yeah. Kahane, who he murdered. Yeah. After he murdered knowing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's he. So basically, he's not. He's even though he's set up as a protagonist, he's really not. It's very much like a Macbeth kind of character. But Macbeth, Macbeth doesn't get away Macbeth with it. Macbeth yeah. doesn't get away with it. But it's it kind of follows a Macbeth type, killing the guy and then going crazy and losing everything. But at the end, even though he's about to lose everything, he just gets everything. Right. But that's that's kind of what he gets at throughout the movie about happy endings. It needs to be a happy ending. It needs to be a happy ending. Sure. So sure. That's almost the satire, which is the almost. The main reason why I'm okay with the ending as it is, because they hinted it has to have a happy ending. Sure. So you kind of know it's going that way. But he should. I I still think he should learn something, or get some kind of comeuppance. Well, usually in movies like this, where you you think that the guy gets away with murder, like or gets away with whatever he gets away with, there's usually like that last second shot of like nobody know you know what I mean. Yeah, like somebody's driving there. and there's right. a bunch of police cars, the sirens or something like that. Right, like you know when you like have a main character at the end of like you know end of a long series, you know something bad happens to him because he has to pay for all his his sins. sins kind of yeah. Thing. yeah, you know. But you know you know so you never you don't get that here. Obviously. No, I was waiting for him to drive up to uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, the detective, like waiting for him at his front gates with information right. or. I I half thought his car was gonna blow up when he answered the phone. Oh yeah, at the very yeah. end, but you don't get any of that. You don't get that, and it's kind of weird because you don't get any. If you had that, you don't get any kind of inkling that there's any kind of explosives that could be set off. You know what I mean? Like they don't find right, a bomb yeah. somewhere or something like that. You brought up Whippy Goldberg, and she plays Detective Avery. What do you think of? What did you think about the cop stuff? Well, when she first appeared, I thought she was playing Whippy Goldberg because it's so hard to differentiate characters and it's, actors. In there's this movie. definitely not like any kind of. There's not. There's definitely not any kind of actors losing themselves in roles. Sure. In yeah. So when she first appears and she's holding the Oscar until she puts out her badge, I thought she was whoopee waiting to, you know, have yeah. an interview with Griffin Mill. Um, but I thought they were okay. I thought they were very similar to the detectives in uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Okay. They reminded me a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like onto the case and onto something, but at the same time, 
a little too inept to actually crack the case. I couldn't tell if uh, the scene that I'm thinking of all is when he goes and to look at a lineup and they just kind of are like openly laughing. And I couldn't tell if, are you really just interviewing him? This is how you're doing it, but you're like just being belligerent. It's five. You mean five? That's three. Not five. even that. Yes. Yeah, that so you're part. not about the lineup. You're talking about the, the first mugshots. time. Yes. The mugshots. Yeah. We okay. can get to the lineup. I, the- I like that mugshot scene. Cause I like how casual detective Avery is and how like she knows and just the fact that he's so on edge. Mm-hmm. And I like, the tam- I like the tampon line. Oh, right. I, I think the tampon lines are really funny. Uh, where are the tampons? So he's asking the only other female on the tech. I didn't take them. Oh, okay. oh sorry. did you take them? Did you take who else? Who else here would have taken my tamp? <laughs> uh, but you were talking about the lineup as well. The lineup is just kind of like bad, bad cop, like bad copping, I guess. Well, that's the thing like that. Are they inept or like so if, if they're inept in that scene, are they inept in the mugshot scene? I don't think they're inept. Like they know they know it's Griffin. They're good enough to know it's Griffin. But they're not good enough to seal the deal. They're not good enough to seal the deal. Yeah. Like they just have all of this suspicion and correctly so. And they have nothing to put it together. See, and the satire would have should have gone even further there than it should have been even more in terms of like what uh, if you're trying to say something there by saying that the cops are starstruck and they're trying to help him out because oh, they sure. want him as a script that they but, want to get. But instead, n- none of these cops really care about it. Movies. Right. Yeah. They talk about Lyle Lovett's character. Detective DeLongpray. Yeah. yeah. Having just seen uh, Freaks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a 50 year old movie even back then. Yeah. Uh, for the first time. It's just kind of like. <laughs> yeah. So you guys really don't care about movies. Right. Which would have made even which would have been even a better chance to have them represent the audience in this in the movie. Like we could have you know, we could see the bullshit yeah. through their eyes. One of them, maybe one of them is starstruck and the other one's not or both starstruck. Yeah. Right. I think that would have been better. Yeah. Because they know, but somehow they don't get the evidence. And if one of them was too starstruck to seal the deal, it would have been better. Right. See, I, I, I like this one uh, quite a bit. Yes, yeah, do I? Yeah. But that stuff. I feel like there's a missed opportunity to like this film is this film is a really good film, but I think that stuff that we're talking about, I think is a missed opportunity for it to be a great film. Agreed. You know what I mean? I just think that, and that's just choices. That's just choices that Altman makes and the writer and and the producers and actors. It's just a choice that they decided to go that way. But I think there was something better there within what we saw that we probably could have got a really great story that it wouldn't be forgotten. People would talk about it even more. Agreed. Yeah. He either like, yeah, if the detectives somehow botched it mm-hmm. more than they did and he gets away with it, it makes a little bit more sense because their obsession with Hollywood also got him free. Right. Right. Now, do you think that it is a distraction that there are about 50 to 60 celebrities in the background in this? Do You find yourself watching it because like you watched it the first time. Right. If you watch it again. You might be finding yourself spotting that. Well, like I said, there were like even more celebrities on this list I didn't notice. Right. But I didn't find it too distracting. Other than, like I said, the whoopee part was a little distracting because now I'm like out of the scene going, is she a character? Right. Or is she Because she was too at the forefront. Um, but I mean, I really liked, you know, talking to Joan Cusack and or John Cusack and Angelica was, Houston. His, Angelica Houston. I thought that was cool. Although related. again, I was they're like, related. Is that in, in real life? Yes. Uh, pretty sure she is his aunt. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, are they playing actors? Or are they the characters? But they're just in the background. As soon as they come up, and he's like, hey, John, and Malcolm McDowell's in there. Right. I thought that was a cool uh, a little moment. scene. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there, there are some cool things, but like, I like that Dean Stockwell, you see him talking to uh, Andy McDowell. Yeah. 
and then you quickly he quickly introduces himself as Andy. Yeah. Which I like because then I immediately know, unlike the whoopee scene, where I'm just like, is he is he actually you right. know a character or is he actually just playing Dean Stockwell? And like he immediately introduces himself as a character, so I know. Right. Um, but like the Burt Reynolds stuff didn't distract me like that. John Lennon, John Lemon, I was more distracted by they were playing Christmas music and there's nothing else to show that it's Christmas. Oh, Jack Lemon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, playing, yeah. Uh, Jingle Bells. I'm like, so wait, is it Christmas? <laughs> I have no indication that it was Christmas. Right, right. Uh, so I didn't find it too distracting. I would actually like to go back and try to spot who I didn't notice. Right. I like certain things like look at Julia Roberts to do it. She's no, she's, she's talked yeah. about in every pitch. Young Julia Roberts too. Yeah, this I is know. really young. Yeah. And when they finally like, at the end, Julia Roberts is the main character. And they, they like, they talk about Bruce Willis for Habeas Corpus, but they don't mention him in any other pitch. Right. But she's mentioned every pitch. So I like that she finally appears. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't find it distracting. I'd actually think it was more enjoyable to try to catch things I missed next time around. But obviously that shtick will age as time goes by. I think, I mean, I just think you, you start trying to point them out when you, as you keep watching them. And maybe that, does that pull, this question is just a question I'm saying out loud. Does that pull you away from the movie? Does that pull you out of enjoying what they're saying in the film? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I wasn't watching it with anyone else. I wasn't really pointing. Like, <laughs> hey, look, it's Burrell. But, but yeah, if you're saying that literally, I might be like, if I was watching this with Elise, I might be like, hey, you see that guy? That's that, yeah. says that so-and-so. Or hey, blah, blah, blah. Right, right, so, right. And there's some people probably you don't know by sight, like when you, if it starts off with Buck Henry, the screenwriter for The Graduate, pitching The Graduate too. I, and see, I didn't know it was The Screener for The Graduate too, but I like that. I don't know if it was him, but. There is a graduate too now. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> so that was my first talk on. There is one. This was, <laughs> the, what was said as a joke and something stupid back then actually happened. Oh, you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. Uh, what this... else is a good idea? <laughs> the movie Habeas Corpus. Because a movie studio actually approached Robert Altman yeah. to actually make Habeas Corpus afterward. And he's like, I, I guess he said no. Because it never happened. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's that's, a, how, that's how unironic. No, it, I, my, my note here is that the writer Tolkien a film Tolkien company called him and tried to option it, like just tried to option it from him. it's like, it's not a script, man. Just I'd have been like, I'd have been like, yeah, absolutely. Take it. It's, it's take the idea. I don't have a script for it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the celebrity cameos were not in the script. Altman put had added them. So I'm curious now, knowing that note, if what type of movie would we have watched without the celebrity cameos? Would it have been as effective? I think it would have been less effective. Okay. Because you wouldn't have, it would have felt small. Right. And by putting all these actors in the world, it feels big. It feels real. Because the movie studio set is honestly just one little studio in, a, in an office. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like they shot it on the Warner Brothers. I guess they shot it on, uh, who's it? Somebody's defunct. So they shot uh, at Zotrope Studios, which was Francis Ford Coppola's former lot. Right. But they also used his office in the movie Barton Fink. Uh, so the Coen oh, Brothers actually yeah. used that office as well, which, you know, I gotta be honest. I, no, I watched Barton Fink. I don't, don't remember it. So I almost want to go back and find that and see if, oh, yeah, that looks familiar. I mean, Griffin's office is super 90s <laughs> with the gray walls. The I kind of actually like his LED clock with the blue lights going around it. Oh, yeah, I do. I like that uh, basketball hoop. I'll tell you that. It counts the points. Counts the points, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, my cousin had that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. They haven't improved on that. Uh, at least I haven't seen it. No, they got worse. I haven't yeah, seen something. I know. It's like, what, they're too expensive to make? I mean, come on now. So but one, one, I guess a couple other notes or one final note about the cameos that Altman convinced the celebrities who did the cameos to donate their union scale salary f uh, for one day of work to the motion, motion picture and television country house and hospital for retired filmmakers. So I thought that was pretty cool too. So yeah, that was nice. You, you had a lot of donations going on. And plus, obviously they're just in the background hanging out. I mean, they're probably just all hanging out, having a good time. Just eating. 
<laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> Half of them are like drinking or eating in any of the scenes they're in. <laughs> um, I mean, you saw Gary Busey in there with the mullet, right? This one, that's my I other. Did not, that's I my, really, yeah, he's yeah. he's at the premiere. Uh, so you know, <laughs> one of the questions I had too watching this, and maybe this is also goes to the, uh, the kind of like backwards ass style of Hollywood is like is right. is Griffin Mel was Griffin Mel ever a great executive? Like was he ever good at his job? I mean, I know he's got Oscars on his table there. Yeah, he's so won guess, Oscars, but but still, it's like he's in he's he is in. I mean, maybe that's part of the business where you're consistently scared that you're out. I think that's the thing is that he probably hasn't made a movie that's made them a lot of money in a while. Mm -hmm. The Oscars just show he's made prestige pictures, not that he's made big winners. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe that's a problem. And then obviously his style is a little different. He's hearing pitches. He's actually, you know, the whole the plot starts out with like he's a jerk because he doesn't tell anybody that, yes, you got the movie. No, you don't have the movie, which he kind of tells uh goodman's daughter, goodman's daughter like june later on like why he, he has to pick 12 films the studio can only make 12 films he listens to literally five thousand pitches a year not any all of them are going to get chosen mm -hmm. but he still listens to all of them whereas you know larry's whole thing is just we're going to do it ourselves we'll find the pitches and then someone else will write it after we find what we want to make. Larry Levy is like a wonderkind who he almost is like he thinks I picture Larry Levy as someone who pictures himself as a Don Draper or like Ryan from the office. Like right. he thinks he's like his, he's his, more yeah. Ryan from the office. Yeah. Yeah. Well now. Yeah. But he, but he like thinks his shit is like, you know, that doesn't stink. Because then Griffin basically puts him in the little office like Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Because he like it, everything Griffin says about Tom Oakley's pitch, yeah, happens. It doesn't have a second act, which I didn't realize it when he pitches it. And then I'm like, wait, yeah, it doesn't have. It just has a beginning and end. Yeah, it's just like it doesn't have a, a second act, and it's it's got a terrible ending. Yeah. So I'm gonna swoop in, create the second act, and save the third act, and uh, Larry will be seen as an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But everything he says goes to plan. And I think in that pitch too, I think that's where when Larry's talking about it is when Griffin's doing the speech at the event. And he talks about how it's their duty and responsibility to maintain the art of movies in Hollywood, like the type of movies they make. Yes. But my question to you is like, there is no more maintaining of that art in Hollywood, maybe outside of Hollywood for smaller studios, but not Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. I think like as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, this movie is ripe for a remake mm -hmm. because it would be you could still do the main story, but it would be so different now because Hollywood is so different from what it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. It is a completely different ball game with streamers and television shows and what is prestige and what's not, what's going to theaters is like Mar there was no Marvel movies. No. Like huge 20 movie franchises back then you thought about. Mm -hmm. So I think this movie is ripe for another remake. Mm -hmm. That's fair. And I, I mean that's and I think if they do do that, if they do make a remake, they I really wish they would go hardcore. I re they need to really go for the jugular and cool. really like You'd be putting this movie out. You could put it on a streamer. You could put it on somebody. You can produce it from somebody who's not one of these guys, these big wigs now. That's the thing with the new way everything's going. You could really make fun of almost everybody. But see, I also wouldn't, I wouldn't do, if I was remaking this, I wouldn't have celebrities in it, but I would have people playing celebrities that kind of like, so it wouldn't be like Robert Downey Jr., but it would be somebody that is obviously Robert Downey Jr. It's just a different character name. Like I would do stuff like that. So you could really go, because- you, because I think that with the celebrities in the film, because they, they, they 
But it Especially wasn't about now. making fun of celebrities. No, though. but you have. But see, that's the thing. You have to make fun of the business. You ha- and that's going to take. That's going to be collateral damage with some celebrities because you can think of it like this too. Celebrities always worry about their personal brand now. Oh sure. So you, there's if if I am Iron Man, just for the sake of because I brought up Robert Downey right. Jr. I'm Iron Man and I'm going to be in a movie and they're going to start ripping on Marvel and Iron Man. They pay my checks. I'm not going to say no. You guys can't do that. I mean, so you're going to run into that. So, I, I can see that because I was thinking it's not about the actors. The actors can still make no, fun sure, of but there's but, but it's making fun of the studio system. But some of the yes, yeah, some of these actors now are so their IP and their branding is so ingrained with the other studios' IP and branding that you have to. I feel like Robert Downey Jr. has made his money though. Like someone like Robert Downey Jr. is gonna be like, all right, I'll be in it. But maybe you'd need older actors who are so ingrained into Hollywood or so like don't care anymore. It's it's whatever. You need you. I think you need you would need no names. Maybe people playing, but but you need you need to basically. It's almost like Tom Cruise playing his character in Tropic it, Thunder. <laughs> it's almost like uh, that would actually be good if he was the, if he was in that. But well, the last Grossman movie was supposed to happen. He still wants to do it. Yeah, but he's got like eight other projects yeah. he's got on the. Well, he's going to die in space. So. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, you you also well, just like the boys with the Vindicators. Like you need that. You need that kind of right. The whole like they're they're obviously that's the Avengers. Like Which you know you're what right, I mean? Because like the boys is made by the studio that's not Disney or anything, mm-hmm. so they can do that. By yeah. actors who aren't part of that. Yeah. You, you need a filmmakers and actors and directors who just don't give a fuck and will just go after them and, and, and won't, won't care if this movie doesn't make money, but just wants to say something. That's what you need. You right. like Altman. We talked about Robert Altman on the Popeye episode where obviously he's got a reputation for being very difficult to work with. Because he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't right, care. Right, because he doesn't care. So, so him doing this movie makes absolute sense. But tell me the director or the actor that's doing this or the filmmaker that's doing this film now that- you would just do it and not care. I think they'd all be scared. It exactly. Be, it would have to be an older filmmaker who older filmmaker or somebody somebody who just is new and is like, you know what, I'm going to do it because this is my one shot and I don't That's care. True too, because yeah. honestly, let's be honest, they they could do something that completely eviscerates what Hollywood's like right now, and it could be so bad, and Hollywood would still eat it up because they would. Yeah, we're so terrible. Here's That's a four like picture this, deal. Yeah. yeah, but that's but see, I would be I'd be okay with that because they are they didn't they didn't shy away from being biting in right. there. I think Altman kind of pulls back a little. I think we talked about that a little bit before. There is a little pullback uh, or they didn't go far enough. Maybe that's a better term. It's like, like Griffin's a murderer, but he's still not as bad as maybe he could have been, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe why I also don't like that he doesn't learn his lesson because he wins everything. Like kind of like Entourage. But he's so lazy. <laughs> Kind of like how in Entourage, Vinny Chase, no, Vinny Chase and the boys, they always get in trouble, but they always get out of it. Always something happens. But they never the, murder. No, 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 no. I just, I mean, I mean, just in general. In general. I don't, I don't yeah. mean, I don't mean that, you know, the, the venal sin of murder. Yeah. Or the <laughs> mortal sin. Drown him me. in a puddle of mud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He also, I mean, like David Cahane, you know, went down easy. I mean, you're a tall guy. Visited him. That's, that is, was, yeah. but so is Tim. That, when they were walking in the street together, I'm like, wow, they're just two tall actors. <laughs> <laughs> they, when he's, when Tim Robbins is against the, the, the lineup, I'm like, holy crap. I oh, he's six, he's six, six. Yeah. yeah. He is really tall. And he's so gangly and thin. Yep. You know, sometimes it, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to say it's off putting, but it, it kind of does stand out. When everyone else is not that tall. In the oh, movie. in Tenacious D, he like cowers. Yeah. <laughs> but like D'Onofrio too is like, I have, I don't think I've seen D'Onofrio so young with so much hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he also has all that hair in Vicious Babysitting when he's Thor. Oh, I forgot. You forgot Thor he's Thor? Thor? Forgot, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It's like when he's in here, I'm like, oh my God, he's got so much hair. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've already talked about how much I'm a fan of D'Onofrio. So 
Oh yeah, Benafri is awesome. Yeah, like the the mystery that I, I like and I don't like the mystery of who's sending the postcards because they drop the mystery right. after Kahane gets killed, but then obviously Griffin's still getting postcards. Right. They make you think it's Lyle Lovett's character, but Lyle Lovett is with Detective Avery. Right. So then, who's sending the postcards? And they just ignore it. Like, oh well, well, well. There, I have, I have that answer for you. I know who it yeah, is. Okay, okay. Good. That's the one thing I like. I hate that they. I don't like that they ignore the mystery. Yeah. But I like that in the end, it's obviously, uh, the guy who does the eulogy, the eulogy at the funeral. Yeah. So I was like, that. That's the same voice as the angry guy in the funeral. Yeah. yeah. So I like that. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's also because he says things in the eulogy that. I think they're he, very anti, but he also mentioned some of the, uh, there's a turn of a phrase or one or two phrases he that he almost says. says something that seems to be like sending right. postcards. And stuff right, like that. right, right. We're sending so, them a message. Or yeah. Something he but he's just a, he's just a struggling screenwriter who wants to get a gig and he, then he does and he sells it out. Sells out. Producer <laughs> <laughs> kills writer. I didn't see. That's the other thing too. Like the only person that is honest in this film is Kahane because he doesn't, you know, he's for art's sake. You know, he doesn't take oh, yeah. the deal. He doesn't want it. He basically tells Griffin to go screw. And for what does he get? He gets killed. So yeah, you're only giving him the steel because you're afraid. Right. He's not playing the game. And if you don't play the game in Hollywood, you get murdered. Like, that's pretty much what it is. That's true, too. Yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, is that what they're saying uh, overtly? Maybe. Inadvertently? Yes. But I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. there. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Did you get the reference to the movie M? Did you get that reference? So you know about the movie M with Peter Lorre? I know of it, but I didn't really get the reference. I know that that was his table, Mr. M. Yes. So in the movie M, Peter Lorre plays a child, a child killer, but like they're on the hunt for him. It's in Germany. And that's the thing. He leaves like uh, the scrawled M is how they know how know they mention him, know who he is, but, but they are um, after him. So when you see the note for Mr. M, it's like obviously because they are after uh, Griffin Mill. Griffin so, so, yeah, so, so I, my note is like real subtle. <laughs> One thing I had a note about that I thought was going to come back, I thought, oh, that's heavy foreshadowing, is when they enter the retreat, they pan over to the left and they zoom in on a sign that says only one vehicle allowed entrance at a time. Yeah, I didn't get that. And I was, I thought, I put, okay, so the police are going to show up en masse or something like that. Yeah, I didn't Nothing get that. Nothing happens with it. I don't, I didn't get that at all. I don't, but maybe you, you was, noticed it though. They yeah, because they move together. over. Yeah. yeah. They, 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 they not only pan over, but they sit on it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, oh, and? So was it just to show that it's an exclusive resort? Because I think the fact that it's in the middle of the desert. Maybe, maybe resort. we're missing something that they didn't put in there. But yeah, I it didn't make any sense. And okay. Maybe if somebody explained it to me, then I'd be like, oh, it makes sense now. But yeah. I no. just didn't know if I was the only one that was like, nothing came of that. Yeah, no, no. Well, this movie also came out when, so we talked about Robert Altman a little bit, but this film came out when Altman was not, you know, not we had talked about how he did Popeye and Popeye failed. Then he went over to Europe and just started doing a bunch of films because he wasn't getting a lot of work in Hollywood. This film was part of his comeback. So he did this film. And then after that, he he did the adaptation of Raymond Carver's uh, shortcuts. 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 So that's kind of what kind of brought Altman back a little bit into the, into Hollywood, but he was gone for about a a whole decade, almost a little, maybe, maybe five or six years. I mean, you watch Popeye. (laughs) But but, but we, I mean, but he also did mash. It's like, it's not fair. Yeah. He's, it's I, all about, well, I think you mentioned, you said this exact line from when we did Popeye's, what have you done for me lately? Oh yeah, of course. All it takes is, which is the same with Griffin Mill, all it takes is one bad picture and then you're done. Yeah, exactly. Tell me my, my way out. <laughs> my, my, my other favorite line in this film is when 
Larry Levy's talking about movies and he's like, and he's talking about, um, tell me the last movie you watched. And Griffin Mel's like, uh, The Bicycle Thief. Uh, art movie doesn't count. I'm talking about a movie. A movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't the last movie you watched. The last movie you paid, t- you paid to see a ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that I thought I thought that line was like, well, that's still the same now, even though I mean, our movies have disappeared to VOD. <laughs> <laughs> He's got such a also they make Griffin not a, like make a point to say he only drinks water. He doesn't really drink alcohol. There's a point that he every time he goes to drink water, he, he orders, orders a, different a different kind brand of water. I, I think that's just him being a douche. Just being a douche. I, Cause I know so. he goes, which I've gotten this one. I because I used to serve um, when I was a bartender for a little while. I was at like a hoity toity Yale. Uh, bar, right? And we'd have rich clients and stuff, and they would do stuff like this: is a red one glass. I'm gonna have my water in just a water glass, yeah. which is a line he says. And I'm like, ah, that is so like the douchey celebrity. <laughs> uh, it's like my note is I hate rich white people. <laughs> <laughs> so there, the there's a sex scene in this film, and it's between Griffin and June, uh, and it's a shot from the neck up. And so I have two notes here. What note do you believe? Oh, the one where he didn't want her nude naked and the one where she refused to be naked. That she said she refused to shoot the nude scene. So that's why they shot from the neck up. But then the other note I have is that he he didn't want. She didn't want her to be nude. Only right. to be nude. Yes. Because it's not what you'd expect. Right. He had the character of, of Bonnie. Bonnie. She's nude in the jacuzzi. Just they're talking. It's not a sex scene. They're just talking. She's right. nude because, quote, you know. She said, why me? Nobody's ever asked me to be new before. And he's like, that's the reason. Like, that's why I want that. And, right. The Paul <laughs> Newman comment was about uh, Greta Scotchi being naked. He's like, you don't get to see the tits you want to see. You get to see the ones you don't want to see. And so that was a bit. That's a Paul Newman quote. And that is what Altman was that like, was you know, was going for, that was yeah. what he was like, all about movies. People's expectation movies, putting them together in a jacuzzi was a Hollywood thing in itself. So you expect the nude scene. With the Greta Sachi character. Yeah. But you get, uh, but you other, get the jacuzzi other jacuzzi scene. I don't know which note to believe. <laughs> I think I believe uh, the Greta Scotchy scene. You you think that Altman's quote is revisionist history because he, I think because it could be, she said no. I think it could be both. Right. Maybe that's why he made Bonnie nude because it's not what you're expecting. So but he's then like, he, he hey, was, can you be nude for this? And she's like, no. He's like, interesting. All right. Let me, let me, like, you think that? Yeah. 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 And then uh, like she said no. And uh, he's like, he's trying to be like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't want to make her nude. But see, here's the thing. If 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 we're to believe Altman mm-hmm. and defying expectations, then what you need to see is male nudity. That's what oh, you absolutely, need to see. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. Which you do. When, uh, when Griffin gets out of the mud, his dong is there. You do, but it's not so like. It's brief. It, he doesn't turn to the camera. No. You know, like, so in that scene, like, let's say in the scene in the jacuzzi. You don't see you see her kind of naked, but you kind of don't. Right. And then he gets out of the jacuzzi and just like turns right to the camera. And yeah. yeah, it's almost like that's my favorite scene. I know everyone loves Wild Things because of Nev Campbell and uh, Denise, Denise Richards, Richards, and they they the pseudo pool. make out. Yeah. And it's not a big deal, everyone. Just it's calm a, down. I never understood why everyone because. But but my favorite part of that movie is there's a scene where Kevin Bacon is just straight up nude, <laughs> and it's like he's having a conversation, and they don't cut away. And I'm I, I'm I remember watching this movie and laughing because I'm like, <laughs> this is fantastic because all these dudes that came to this that to came to go see Wild Things oh, were, we're expecting this like huge. <laughs> Out scene between two girls, and all they get is Kevin Bacon's penis, and I loved it. <laughs> loved it. I was like, Yes, love. I mean, I don't care what you think. I love that scene. I, I thought that was fantastic, but that's the thing. 
that's the, that's to me is defying expectations as well. So if, if we're to believe Waltman, then I think I would believe it more if he did the, if he had male nudity. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that is our take on nudity in movies. Today. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part of that saying that movie. <laughs> I really like the line. If you don't suffer, then maybe it wasn't a crime after all. If you don't suffer for it. Maybe it wasn't a crime after all. I don't know who said that. That might have been. That might have been the guilty. the Fred Ward character, yeah, the 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 security guy, yeah, yeah. Because you they set him up as the bad guy in the beginning when you first see him, but then as the movie goes on, you realize that the Fred the Fred Ward's character, which is Walter Stuckel, is actually there to help him. Yes, you know what I mean. He he it, like grills him, but then it just it turns out he just doesn't he'll cover up anything for the right. studio. And then they bring I, I then they so really bring the lawyer in, <laughs> and and like the thing in the beginning, it's like of course stairs, yeah. No rap, <laughs> which I thought was you know telling in the nineties. You know, don't worry. Even if she says something, are those glass? Are those prescription glasses? <laughs> yeah, and even that scene was so. I felt like that scene wasn't scripted. That no, scene I didn't was, like that scene. I mean, but that's kind of things I was like, eh. that's Altman though. Because to be fair, if you ever watch Mash, like Mash is a ton of this. It's just people talking over each other. It it's is constantly. Oh, that that was. I wasn't a fan of the dialogue talking over Whoopi and everybody because it was you're getting really confusing. Right. There's a difference when like that. We talk about uh, Jaws. I always talk about how there's dialogue in the background, but then there's dialogue on the foreground. But the background is not. You, you don't miss the it's dialogue. Pretty much in the noise. Foreground. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about the scene where Brody's on the phone learning about the. Oh no! His kids are in the background. And the kids on the the, the counter. And yeah. She's giving uh, the mother's giving the band aid. Oh, you. But like that, you can still hear Brody. You know, so like, yeah. But in this, it's just of. like, I was thinking, can Whoopi just tell him to shut the fuck up? Can we get to the, Yeah, I can't hear what's going on. That, I can't pay attention. That just felt like, a. that's again, maybe that goes to the the question of ineptitude or not. It's a very sloppy way to do that, um, to do that whole process of seeing, you know, doing the lineup. Yeah, there's no very way. Very sloppy. Go, they wouldn't have that many people in and they wouldn't no. tell them to quiet them. Yeah, but be like, this is like a big monk and you, you, you want her to focus and you just got, and you got the door open. So the hallway's wide open. Yeah. You got people talking. Totally. Yippee, happen. There's a two-way where no one can see you. Everyone's walking by. Right. Like I've seen enough Law and Order that when the defense attorney uh, talks to the, the the witness that the the officers go like you can leave you can get out of this room right now they're just all like Shh, be quiet oh but but she's I'm just trying to figure out just trying to get a, da, da, da. I'm like what the hell is happening here let's talk about the uh, eight minute opening shot eight minute opening shots awesome isn't it no cuts no cuts and it's all in that one back lot and can you imagine the setup for that can you imagine how many times they had to run through that twelve times I think it was <laughs> was it. 15 or 12. 12 I didn't, I didn't catch times. that. I must yeah. have missed that note. Awesome. But they did it first with a model and they rehearsed it overnight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I mean, that's, I mean, it's like a play. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love one of the, my favorite parts and least favorite parts with the movie is it opens with the clapperboard oh, yes. and action. And then the movie starts, but they don't close out with like the clapper. Them. Yeah. And I wanted them to close out with the clapper. I was so mad when they didn't go and cut. That would have been good. Just something throwaway line. Yeah, that would have been good too. That's just not maybe that's not thinking ahead. Yeah, because I was like, oh, that's awesome. All right, now it's gonna close being a movie. Yeah, that that should that or it should have closed with the upside down clapper. Like the take wasn't good. Like the movie wasn't oh, good. Oh, that, that would have been yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been great too. I mean, come on here, guys. We're making this movie better. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that during the tracking shot, Fred Ward's character comes back and forth talking about great tracking shots. <laughs> he movies, just keeps, but yeah. he never sees the one that anybody else notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Talk about American fools. American, American movies. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier uh, celebrity cameos that were distracting. I thought Jeff Goldblum's was distracting. Well, I mean, I wanted to know why he's wearing that Cosby sweater. He's wearing the Cosby sweater. He comes down the stairs. They make a big deal. Oh, Jeff Goldblum, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
but there's no lines. It's really to introduce Larry Levy. It's Levy. just to show Levy in his worming his way through Hollywood. His way through Hollywood. Yeah. But it's very distracting that Goldblum is there when he's talking to him. Yeah. And they focus on Goldblum too much. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. So this is 92. So Goldblum. He's already done the fly. He is, but he's, he doesn't rock he's it. He Malcolm. doesn't, right. Yeah. He doesn't rock it to big time studio films until Jurassic Park. Right. Cause then he does Independence Day after that. And it's just like, he's there. Yeah. So uh, yes, agreed. I don't know why. It's too much of a focus. Maybe all men loves him. Maybe that's why I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the big chill is what? 80, 80. No. 80 I mean, we did this movie. 82, 83, 81. Early 80s. Right. Maybe 83. Man, we did that. Film yeah. too. How do we not remember it? It was a few seasons ago. <laughs> but yeah. So he's done that and he's done the fly. He did my stepmom's an alien or whatever. Yeah, no, that's just it. Exactly. I know. I hear what you're saying. I was distracted by his Cosby sweater. That's what I was distracted by. Because I was just like, that is a big sweater. And it's making me think that Jeff Goldblum's got like put a little weight on. Like that's what also made it made Jeff give bulk to Jeff it Goldblum. It did put bulk on him. Yeah. But he's another really tall guy as well. I believe oh, Jeff Goldblum oh, yeah. is almost seven foot. Big show was 83. Yes, I was right. Well, we both were. We both said it. Did you say 83? I said 83. I think I said all the 80s. Uh, but was it 81, 82, 83? Maybe 84 or 5. I thought Goldblum's um, cameo was more distracting, like Angelica Houston's and John Hughes. That's Jackson. his background. I actually like Burt Reynolds because his, his, all his stuff was ad-libbed. Good. But yeah, exactly. So he didn't even know the character of Griffin, but he knew he was an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole. Like all of them. Yeah, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to talk about like dogs. You got to feed them. You got to feed them. Yeah, Burt Reynolds, Reynolds is great. <laughs> Uh, so we talked about Bonnie a little bit. Uh, one of the things about Bonnie that I found uh, that I commented on was that she just disappears from the movie when he sends her away mm-hmm. and then she comes back and she complains and like, Hey, what's going on? And then like, she's gone. She just suddenly just disappears. Not at the studio. She's never. That's like the, one of the first times he's become like a big time douche. True. True. When you first see Griffin and when she comes back, he just ignores her and he's mm-hmm. got his, He's got his hands on both sides of his couch, sitting alone. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he like it starts feeling like starts like sowing his oats, feeling his oats there. He's, like for some reason. But he, I don't understand why he gets so cocky because he's on his way to getting, as far as he knows, this is right before the lineup stuff. He, mm-hmm. He's on his way out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I thought that was really weird. Yeah, yeah. I also think Griffin is terrible dirty talk. I think I don't think he, he doesn't know how to talk dirty to because there's part <laughs> of the movie where he's just talking like, dude, shut up. <laughs> All right, so is this film, I'm not going to, I will get to how, why I think it's forgotten, but what I want to ask you is, because I want to do this first, who are you suggesting this to? Because if you don't, if you're not in the business, you might not really understand what they're saying. Yeah, the satire is not going to be there for anyone who's not really into movies mm-hmm. or really into how movies are made. Right. You really got to like the behind the scenes stuff about movies. Right. Even if you're just like, I love movies, but you know nothing of the filmmaking process. Right. You know, like it's, yeah. You need to know what a producer is, what a producer does. What exactly happens in terms of like conversations? Like, cause I know that when people think about, you know, people think about if I say like, oh, you know, I read that, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck met with this big producer because they're going to talk about this movie. You In your mind, if you don't understand what's happening, you think they're just talking about story and like you're talking about how it's going to look. You know what I mean? You think it's like some like big conversation. They're trying to pitch like how they're going to make money. Right. But it's probably like not not even like that at all. They probably oh, no. talk about it and then they probably start talking about their lives. And when just, they're big stars like that. Yeah. Yeah. So also the 25 words or less, you're not going to get that unless you know. Yeah. About- he, pitches and stories what's funny is that he's 
25 words or less. That's basically what gets rebranded as an elevator pitch. They're talking about the, he's yeah, talking yeah. about an elevator pitch. They don't call it that, but that's what they eventually call it. Like if you're in an elevator with an exec, can you get your pitch out in time before the elevator doors open? Yep. So I, I think I, the movie should have been called 25 words or less. <laughs> that could have been, <laughs> that could have been good. Also when they're pitching uh, habeas corpus, they weigh more than 25 words. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the play. Yeah, they don't, but I'm not a huge fan of the player as a title, but we just, just talk about if you don't play the game, you're going to get killed. Then he plays the game. Right. right. So it makes sense in that regard. I just think maybe if there's more reference to playing the game in the film, the player yeah. title works a little bit better. I just think there are a lot of pieces that don't necessarily come together really well. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is quote, the comments that I have or the, the criticisms or just the, um, not I say nitpicky, but the criticisms that I have of this film are, are simply about going from very good to great. That's yes, all. It's a very good movie. It is. It could be amazing. Right. I just, I, I think that when we already highlighted them, I think that there are, there are, missed oppor- there are a lot of missed opportunities here to go from very good to great. And they're just small tweaks, I think too. Right. No, agreed. Yeah. I mean, I love how they wrap around the, the final line that's in habeas corpus and that's in the end of the movie. Yes. Like, what took you so long? Traffic was a bitch. I love the end of habeas corpus. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Especially the way Julia Roberts gets gassed. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he shoots the shotgun through the glass. Yeah. So but- that's so Bruce Willis as when he did that, I was like, Holy crap, I can see that. But that's the thing, too. Like, they're making fun of it, but it's like, Bruce, those are your movies. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what your movies are like back then. A couple of years later, he did, uh, what's it called, where he's the boat guy. Oh, Striking, Striking distance? distance? Yeah, I know. Brian James is in Striking Distance, the guy who, the head of the studio who ends up getting canned, who has obviously sun damage on his forehead. Oh, yeah. He actually passes, passed away, I think, like a couple of years after this movie was made. I don't, but I don't know of what, but he passed away. He, when you see him, you would be like, oh, that guy looks familiar. He's yeah. in a lot of stuff. But yeah, like it's just these are the type of films that the endings that happen in a Bruce Willis yeah. film. And I just like you do. They're making fun of your movies. You know what I mean? I'm sure, like, he's but, right. and I'm sure he is. Laughing all the way to the bank. Exactly. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. The phone conversation that Griffin has with June. Oh, he's outside her house. Conversation? Right. Yeah. I felt like it felt very Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. But it also felt like it didn't fit in the film. No, it would have, he would have had to go like the serial killer or stalker route. Right. It would have been a different film. Right. It I, shows him as a character he's not. And maybe that's also kind of highlights something else about Griffin is that you talked about how he's sewing his oats on that on the couch and he's got his arms folded. Right. We see him out of control. We see him in control. We see him stalkerish. We see him in love. Griffin really doesn't have one you really don't know who griffin is and maybe that's also part of it maybe that's also part of this movie is griffin mill is the player so griffin mill is playing the role that he plays whenever Whenever the time calls for it right because he seems so genuine with june in the talking his thing about being a producer and like he has five thousand calls five thousand pitches right and it's so genuine compared to anything else you see him as right but also his relationship with june is I, i don't believe his relationship with june either well it won't last Right. Even after they have their child or how many children they have. Because she's a sociopath as well. Right. Which she kind of admits. Yeah. And uh, David Kahane calls her the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. So that get along great with her. That's not going to last. Um, yeah. But like not where she murders him. Not many relationships last in Hollywood, <laughs> which obviously we all know are aware. Right. Um, so I referenced this before, but uh, why do you think it's forgotten? Uh, it's very specific. It's a very specific audience. Uh, so this goes along with kind of like who you would suggest. I think who you'd suggest it to. I think it's a very specific audience. 
you really need to know about movies. I think that the motion picture business and just everything, like, although some things are kind of the same, a lot of stuff has changed in the last 30 years since this movie's come out, almost mm-hmm. 30 years. Mm-hmm. Or exactly, exactly 30 years. Um, to the date? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, no, th- <laughs> 30 plus years. Oh, right. This is 2023 that's coming out. Yeah. Um, so I think that hurts it. I think Tim Robbins, although he's a fantastic actor, never really gained huge popularity. So it doesn't really have a, a, a huge leading man to make you go, oh, it's a Tim. You don't go, oh, it's a Tim Robbins picture. Well, his big, fi- his, his big film is coming in a couple years with Shawshank. 94. Yeah. Oh, that's true too. It hasn't even. So he's kind of in one big film. Hasn't even right. Yet. So that's, that's, I mean, he's, I mean, Bull Durham's a, is a big film. He's obviously an accomplished actor at this point, an established actor, but in terms of his next level is not until 94. Right. Right. And nowadays I don't think he's big. Well, he did one the house for Mystic River like six, seven years ago. Future Mike here. By six or seven years ago, field clearly means 20 years ago, Mystic River came out in 2003. Time flies. He's also older now. So exactly. You know but I mean? I mean, like people aren't going back to it. And Robert Altman, I think we talked about it in Popeye. He's made a couple of bigger movies, but he mostly does what he wants. Sure. Yes. He's the guy who directed the, the MASH movie, which turned into a hugely popular TV show, which is where everybody knows MASH from. That's funny. because Yeah, that is accurate. Because when I say, hey, MASH, it's like, oh, I love that show. It's like. Watch the movie. <laughs> movie. The show's great, but the movie is really good too, and I think it gets overshadowed. Oh, absolutely, gets right. overshadowed. Yeah, which means he kind of gets overshadowed. Oh well, yeah. Oh, but oh, but I think that's kind of like you know, Gosford Park is good. I mean, I think that's kind yeah. of. But I think that's his style. What happens? I don't think he yeah. cares. No, but I'm saying that that doesn't. Well, he help. Has, he's no longer with us. So but yes, no, he I don't care think he cared. Uh, yeah, but I don't think that helps it get remembered and carry on as well. Sure. Um. So I think those are the reasons. I think this is ripe for a remake. I think this is ripe. To be redone, like we said, with more biting satire. I think, yeah, in a different way. yeah. It needs, to, but it needs to be done by people that are know of the business, but are not in the business. I think, I think, because I, or I want adjacent. Where they I, care. yeah, I don't want something that turns into. Oh my god, you see this movie? It's so great. Like I want this to turn into a movie where people are like, did you see that movie? It rips Hollywood apart. But like, Hollywood would still eat it up. Oh, they would. But I still want to. But see that. <laughs> but to me, like then it's like. It's, I just want something more biting. I want something really serious oh, yeah. and well, more biting. Especially and nowadays, just, I think you would abs- could absolutely get that. Right. I'm right. also very interested. I do kind of want to read the book it was based on. Yeah. Go. I mean, it's going to be dated references, but yeah, go back. Was How long ago is the book made compared to the movie? I did not look that Oh, up. I don't know. But I, I mean, I'm talking like the, the movie's 30 years old. So it, the book is at least 30. Maybe well, I understood 40. the references in the player. <laughs> I understand so. that, but you, but you've seen your, you, you watch films, you watch movies, right. you know all these people. Right. Uh, I, I think that I would definitely, if I would definitely recommend this to people who make movies, like movies, talk about films and how they're made. I know we have a bunch of podcast friends or people that we are follow on social media that are podcasts, you know, about movies and movie reviews, yeah, and behind the scenes stuff. If they have not seen this film, I think they sh- you should absolutely see this film because it's everything you talk about on all your podcasts and what we talk about. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it's definitely a movie that uh, I would recommend to people that I would recommend this movie to a lot of people, but I would understand that some people might not like it as much uh, just because they wouldn't get a lot of the references. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's forgotten just because it's so specific in its story in terms of its, uh, its setting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's Hollywood setting that it's probably difficult for people to kind of go back to. Connect to. Go back yeah. To, yeah. Right. Plus the long you go, 
all these actors that are in that are older now. They're not as, you know, you just, some of these actors you don't remember anymore. You know, so you, you might not just like Karen Black's in this film. I didn't even, I saw her listed. She's another one where I don't yeah. remember where she was. There's at. a ton of people in the film that I don't think people know who they are. You know what I mean? Don't worry, John Doolin. I know people know who Karen Black is. I just, <laughs> <I'm> just saying. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Lily Tomlin's uh Oh, cameo. so Scott Glenn and Lily Scott Tomlin's Glenn, shoot. Yeah. yeah. Apparently it was, they took the take where they were um, rehearsing for the take where it was supposed to be rehearsed. Yeah. I love that note. So it was supposed to be a fake rehearsal. And they took the rehearsal take of the rehearsal. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Like another another little nugget there. Are <laughs> you got anything else? Uh no, other than the fact that he has a car fax, which I thought was amazing. I remember faxes, everybody. I asked my I, do, I asked my thirteen year old, do you know what a fax machine is? She's like, um, a printer. I'll go, go away. <laughs> I'm surprised you knew that much. Yeah, and I like, go, some really fax used. machines are printers, but not oh. all printers are fax machines. <laughs> I also thought the snake scene was really stupid. The, I guess he has a fear of snakes, but like, how does the writer know oh, he's got a fear yeah, of snakes? Yeah. And B, put the top back on the box, you moron. Well, no. Well, if you notice, I thought that too. It's just the lid? No. When he opens up the, the, the side door, you notice that when he opens the lid, the sides come down. It's one of those. Oh, yes. okay. I, I thought okay. the same thing. <laughs> and I was like, dude, just put the lid. And then when he opens the side door, I see that all the sides the are down. down. I'm like, okay, it's that kind of bus. <laughs> All right, that's all, that's all I got then. Yeah. All right. Well, then tell everyone where they can find us. You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and video content we have for you. We promise it's all good. And uh, <laughs> check, us, <laughs> uh, check us out on the social medias, uh, especially Forgotten Cinemas, the lobby on Facebook, where you can tell us if you've seen the play or what you think about it, what you'd like to see in a remake maybe. And uh, yeah, you're listening to this podcast, wherever you're doing, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. I I thought you were talking about how all of our episodes were all good. I didn't mean you. I didn't think you were talking about the other podcasts. I'm sorry. No, they are all good. (laughs) I thought you were being like, come listen to our episodes. They're all good. And I was like, no. All right. So join us next week. We're going to 2004 and we're going to Europe for Euro trip. Um, Yeah, that's happening next week. Scotty doesn't know. Yep. (laughs) All right. That's next week, everyone. Until then, have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.